Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 15 this morning. Mark 15, we'll be looking at the end of that chapter and then venturing into chapter 16 as well. The door to eternal life swings on the hinges of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, the door remains locked to all. But faith in the crucified, buried, and risen Savior opens the one and only way to eternal life. This is the message of the scriptures. This is the hope of the gospel. The door to eternal life swings on the hinges of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a dead Savior, and a dead Savior cannot give any of us life. But praise God, Jesus is alive. This is the message of the gospel, the good news of Christ. No other event in history has more verifiable evidence than the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and his 40 days of appearances prior to ascending to heaven. In his book, More Than a Carpenter, Josh McDowell cites uh, conclusions from numerous legal minds, some of whom had set out to disprove the Bible specifically to disprove the claim of the resurrection of Christ. One example is Professor Thomas Arnold, who was chair of modern history at Oxford. And he wrote, I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Herein lies our hope. Only a risen Savior who is still alive can give us life. This is the central hope of all Christians. As 1 Corinthians 15 testifies, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as an Adam all die... So also all who are in Christ shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. God not only wants you to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he requires it. There is no saving faith 
apart from it. He is the only Lord and Savior of sinners. Well, almost two years ago, we began our journey in the Gospel of Mark. And we come this morning to the climax of the entire book, The Life of Christ, comes to its climax here in the resurrection. Let's look, beginning at verse 42. Mark 15 and verse 42. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. So spectacular is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So unique is it in all of history that even those closest to the event had a hard time believing that this could really happen. And yet God was patient with them, and he worked with them and opened their eyes and helped them to see that it is indeed true. And I pray that's what the Lord does for you this morning, 
If you don't know the Lord Jesus and you're questioning, what is all this resurrection stuff all about? What is Christ and his work all about? That the Holy Spirit will so graciously through his word just help you to see the glory of the risen Christ. In Mark's shortest account here of the resurrection, God wants you to take notice of some of the witnesses that compel you to believe in the resurrected Christ. Number one, believe the witness of Old Testament prophecy. Believe the witness of Old Testament prophecy. It tells us in verse 42 that when evening had come, that is Friday, sundown, it's the day of preparation, the day in which the Jews would prepare for the Sabbath, that a man named Joseph of Arimathea came and requested the body of the Lord Jesus. Well, who is this Joseph that all four of the Gospels talk about? Well, he was a rich man, but he was also a respected leader among the Sanhedrin, and he had secretly come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was not part of the group of Sanhedrin that actually sent Jesus to his death. He was not a part of that council. And he asked for the body of Jesus because Old Testament law requires that a person who dies by hanging must be buried the very same day that he died. So as a respecter of the Old Testament law, Joseph requested Jesus' body. Jesus was clearly dead. Mark repeats himself four times to make this clear. He wants to dispel any foolish claim that Jesus was in a coma or was asleep for three days. Notice what it says in verse 44 that Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. Most people who died by crucifixion endured much longer. But the Lord Jesus knew why he had come to this earth, and he had willingly surrendered his spirit to the Lord. That he had already died. He asked the centurion, what did the centurion say? He's already dead. Verse 45, the centurion clarifies again that he was dead. And to even make it clearer, Mark uses a different word in verse 45 than he used in 43 for body, a word that can only mean corpse, a fully dead body. Mark is making it crystal clear that we are about to see and read about nothing short of a supernatural act of God in the raising up of his son. This man, Joseph of Arimathea, took the lead in burying Jesus. Nicodemus helped him, the Gospel of John tells us. You may remember Nicodemus from the early part of the Gospel of John. He was also a religious leader, and he came and inquired of Jesus at nighttime. And Jesus made it clear to Nicodemus that all the religion in the world would never save him. What he needed was to be born again. What he needed was God to put the life of God within his soul. And at some point during that time period between that moment 
and the resurrection. Nicodemus believed. He came to faith in Christ. John says that Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of spices to embalm the body of Jesus. That was an extravagant amount. Required wealth to purchase it, but it also demonstrates the great honor that Nicodemus wanted to show to his Savior. But Joseph taking the lead fulfills prophecy. This was a direct fulfillment of Isaiah 53 and verse 9, which says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So 700 years before Jesus was even born, it was predicted that he would be buried, that Messiah would be buried in a rich man's tomb. There is no one but God who can make a prediction like that. Last week we noted how King David had predicted the crucifixion 1,000 years before crucifixion was even invented as a form of torture by evil men. There, is, there are truckloads of prophecies being fulfilled. At least 300 Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ in his life and in his death. What that does for us is it testifies to the integrity of the scriptures. God's word is true and it is the ultimate truth. So much so that Jesus himself tells us that scripture is going to be the measuring stick that one day will judge our faith. So we, we better take the scriptures seriously now for it will be the basis by which our faith is judged in the end. So this morning, God calls you to believe the witness of Old Testament prophecy. Joseph and Nicodemus wrapped the body, the corpse of the Lord Jesus, laid it in this tomb that had been cut out of rock, and so wealthy was Joseph that he could afford a tomb that also had a circular door that would be rolled over the entrance. Only the wealthy could afford that. This is God-fulfilling prophecy. And almost as an aside, Mark tells us in verse 47 that the two Marys were watching. The two Marys that are always in the background watching the Lord Jesus, watching his crucifixion, also watched where he was buried. Why? Because they too wanted to come after Sabbath was over. They wanted to come and honor the body of the Lord Jesus through anointing him. There's a second reason to believe in the resurrection of Christ. Believe the witness of the empty tomb. Not only believe the testimony of Old Testament prophecy, but believe the witness of the empty tomb. Chapter 16. When the Sabbath was passed, so now it's Saturday evening, 
And now that the Sabbath is past, the Marys are free to go and make a purchase. And they purchase spices, it says. Two Marys and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. They were aware that the first anointing of the body of the Lord Jesus was quite hurried. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea quickly took care of what they could do for him, and so they wanted to come back. These three women wanted to come back and give a greater honor and perhaps a slower anointing and honoring of the Lord Jesus. But very early on the first day of the week, that Sunday, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. This is probably about 6 a.m. They go to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So massive was this rock that it was impossible. It was impossible for these women. This is an authentic question. We're going to honor and to anoint our Savior. We've purchased all these spices, but how are we going to get in? Well, God had already took care of that. Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Other gospel writers tell us that there was another earthquake. Remember, there was an earthquake Friday. While Jesus was on the cross, when he shouted from the cross, it is finished, there was an earthquake. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and now another earthquake, Sunday morning, and the tomb is opened. It's not open to let Jesus out as much as it is to let the witnesses in. And what did they see? saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe. This is an angel. Other gospel writers testify. They were alarmed. You would be too. And I would be too. If we saw a young man dressed in white inside of a tomb where we had seen the body of Jesus laid He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place. Come in. Tour the tomb. Because this was a, a wealthy man's tomb. There, were, there was more than one spot to bury a body. Joseph had undoubtedly purchased this cave like structure, this grave cut out of stone for his whole family. Come in. Look. He's not here. He's risen. Go. Tell his disciples. And don't forget to tell Peter, too. Now, how that should encourage us, right? A few weeks ago, remember Peter? Remember Peter so boldly saying to Jesus, I will never deny you. Everyone else will, but I won't. And then he did. Did deny him three times. But now the the news is going to spread to Peter, and Peter is going to have hope rise in his soul. 
Jesus is going to Galilee. That's interesting. He goes to Galilee. He doesn't go into the city of Jerusalem where they might be tempted to turn him into some kind of a political leader. No, he goes back into Galilee. Quiet area. There you will see him just as he told you. And another understandable response to this supernatural event. Look at verse 8. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment. There's fear and awe mixed all together here. They had seized them. Trembling, astonishment, seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. And this is just a sampling of the witnesses. This is just a sampling of the witnesses who saw the empty tomb, and this is just a sampling of the witnesses who saw then the risen Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, the Apostle Paul lists multitude of eyewitnesses of the resurrection. There's Peter, there's the 12, there's more than 500 believers at one time, there's James, the brother of Jesus. There is there are the, all of the apostles plus over a hundred believers who had gathered for a prayer meeting and they saw the Lord Jesus ascended. They saw him ascend through the clouds into heaven 40 days after the resurrection. So for 40 days, Jesus was walking among them again. Sunday morning, the tomb was empty, but the body was not stolen like the religious and political leaders feared. Instead, something far greater than a conspiracy had taken place. The one and only God had raised his son from the dead, and he walked among his disciples for 40 days. And the witnesses... The list of witnesses just gets longer and longer and longer. I mean, think about it. He walked among us for 33 years, lived a sinless life, and then took that sinless life to the cross to take our place of judgment that we deserved. And then three days later, he rose and walked again for 40 more days to prove he was alive. And this is undisputed history. Simon Greenleaf, professor of law at Harvard, wrote a book in which he said, in which he examined the legal value of the apostles' testimony to the resurrection of Christ. He observed that it was impossible that the apostles could have persisted in affirming the truths they had narrated had not Jesus actually risen from the dead. And had they not known this fact as certainly as they knew any other fact. Greenleaf concluded that the resurrection of Christ was one of the best supported events in history. According to the laws of legal evidence that is allowed in the courts of justice. The resurrection of Christ is an undisputed history, historical fact. It has always been a confirmed 
fact. Only those who dig in their heels in resistance against God or deny history itself dare to dispute it. No doubter who has ever sought to disprove the resurrection has succeeded. Instead, many doubters have been converted to Christ after trying their best to prove the scriptures wrong. And God showed them through historical and scientific evidence that Jesus truly did raise from the grave. 1988, Lee Strobel, a reporter for the Chicago Tribune and graduate of Yale Law School, published a book called The Case for Christ. You may have read it. You may have seen the movie about it. It's compelling. He was an atheist, but he was compelled by his wife's conversion to Christ to look further, and he was determined to prove his wife wrong. He was determined to prove that she had fallen prey to a false religion. And he tried his best to uncover everything he could uncover. He doubted the historicity of the resurrection. He doubted claims that Jesus was the Son of God. He doubted the accuracy of New Testament writings. But after he thoroughly investigated all of it, He was unable to refute, and he bowed his knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how God works. Try and prove God wrong. He will always win. Always. See, what sets biblical Christianity apart from every man-made religion is this simple truth. Our founder and savior is still alive. No man-made religion can claim that. Mormonism cannot claim this. Joseph Smith is still dead and still buried in Illinois. Jehovah's Witnesses cannot claim this. Charles T. Russell is still dead and still buried in Pittsburgh. Christian scientists cannot claim this. Mary Baker Eddy is still dead and still buried in Massachusetts. Zen Buddhism cannot claim this. Buddha is still dead and still buried in China. The Unity Church cannot claim this. Phineas, Parkhurst, Quimby is still dead and still buried in Maine. The Worldwide Church of God cannot claim this. Herbert W. Armstrong is still dead and still buried in Los Angeles. And Islam cannot claim this. Muhammad is still dead and still buried in Saudi Arabia. No man-made religion on this planet can claim what the scriptures claim, which is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is still alive. And because he is alive, 
he can give life to all those who will come to him and trust in him. Only our Savior's tomb is empty. There's no man-made religion that can open the door to God. None. Only God can do this. As Paul testifies in 1 Timothy, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. He is the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony born at the proper time. So only the risen Savior who lives and reigns even now has the authority to give eternal life to those who believe. So this morning, God is calling upon you to believe the witness of the empty tomb. Believe the witness of Old Testament prophecy. Believe the witness of the empty tomb. But there is a third reason to believe. Believe the witness of transformed lives. There is a third reason. Believe the witness of transformed lives. I think it's so beautiful that Jesus first appears to Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, her name is Maria. Mary, she's from Magdala, that's why she's called Mary Magdalene was a demon-possessed woman who was set free from Satan's grip by Jesus. Amen. Set free. Released from the powers of darkness. Luke 8, 2 tells us that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. There's some serious satanic Influence going on there, but not too powerful for Christ. Not too powerful for Jesus to deliver. And from that moment on, she became one of the most devoted followers of the Lord Jesus. She's present everywhere during the final week of Jesus' life. She witnessed the crucifixion, she witnessed the illegal trial of Jesus. She heard Pontius Pilate sentence him to death. She saw her Savior beaten and humiliated. She was one of several women who stood near the cross while Jesus was dying. And most rewarding of all is Mary is the first witness of the resurrection. And though she's not mentioned by name, I have to believe she's one of those 120 in the first chapter of Acts that's gathered in the upper room for a prayer meeting. And she sees the Lord Jesus ascend through the clouds into heaven. Mary stands as an enduring testimony to a transformed life. This is what Jesus can do for sinners like you and me. According to Scripture, every one of us is born in sin and lives in spiritual darkness until Jesus breaks through that darkness with the light of the gospel. Only the Holy Spirit can do that for us. 
And when he does, it is compelling that when we see Jesus for who he is and how he has met our need, it is compelling for us to run to him. For he loves sinners of every stripe, every kind, and he accepts sinners of every kind. Oh, what a savior. Mark goes on to tell us then about more witnesses here. It says in um, verse 12, after these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. One little verse Mark gives to what Luke gives half a chapter to. In Luke 23, just open there briefly. I want to show you this fascinating account of uh, Jesus meeting up with two disciples who are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they are in for the surprise of their life. In Luke 23. Sorry, 4, 24. I knew there was a reason I couldn't find it. <laughs> I know my eyes are going bad, but you know. All right. That very day, what day? The day of the resurrection. That very day, two of them were going to a village. I'm in verse 13. I'm not sure where you are. But they're going to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So they're walking down the road, two of them. All of a sudden, the third guy just joins the conversation. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Are you clueless, man? I mean, how is this possible that you don't know? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief, our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one. That's why they're sad. We had hoped. We really thought he was the one. We really thought he was Messiah. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And here's the greatest Bible study that's ever been taught. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, 
interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Oh, I I am so envious of these two guys. (laughs) A Bible study led by Jesus. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Only God can open the eyes of any of us who is spiritually blind. And he does it with the scriptures. Jesus used the scriptures to open their eyes to see him for who he really is. And God can do that, do that for us. God calls you to believe the witness of transformed lives. Innumerable witnesses have now spoken. The door to eternal life swings on the hinges of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, the door remains locked to all. But because of the resurrection, the door opens to those who believe in Christ. God's word makes this so clear for us. In Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise from God. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. God is calling you this morning. If you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not come to him by faith, trusting him for your eternal salvation, today is the day. Do not, do not harden your heart. Run to Christ. He is ready to receive you, to welcome you into God's family. Father, we thank you for this amazing testimony of Scripture that we serve a risen Savior. Our Savior is not like the founder of man-made religions. He does not have a grave somewhere that has a tombstone that we know exactly where his body is because The tomb was empty that Sunday morning. And he then, 40 days later, ascended through the clouds 
into heaven to be seated at your right hand where he now ever lives to make intercession for those who believe. Oh God, we thank you for our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, you know each of our hearts this morning, man, woman, boy, and girl, and you know if the eyes of our heart need to be opened to see Christ and to believe in him today. Do that work in any of us who still need that to be accomplished by your Holy Spirit. Oh God, we give you honor and praise for doing all, all that was required to purchase our salvation. Thank you that you now offer eternal life as a free gift to any kind of sinner who will come to you and ask for mercy. To you alone be glory and praise. Through Christ we pray. Amen.